0: So is wealth a sign of God's blessing and favor? Or is wealth an obstacle to living as a disciple? Is wealth a good thing for Christians or not? Put it another way, how do we faithfully follow Jesus as wealthy Christians? Now, the first thing we need to address is the subject of wealth. Wealth is a relative term. You are wealthy or not, only when compared to someone else. I'm guessing that most of us on this subject of wealth would admit that we're wealthy, but really not that wealthy. Most of us woke up this morning in a comfortable bed and in a warm house, in a safe place, and most of us have already had something to eat today and something to drink, and we're not going to worry about our next meal, or probably the next meal, or even the next meal after that, or the number of snacks and nice pleasures that we have in between, and most of us have money in our pockets, maybe a lot of money, and most of us have work to do and places to be and We have plenty of clothes in our closet, and we have shoes to wear. In fact, a lot of us have a lot of shoes. (laughs) And on and on and on. You get the idea. All of this is a sign of wealth, even extreme wealth by the world's standards. Yet most of us would probably not describe ourselves as rich or wealthy, because rich and wealthy is relative, and we all know, or at least we know about really rich people, really wealthy people, and that's not us. You know, lots of cars and huge houses and fancy jets and things like that. We know we are wealthy, but this is not how we think. We have bills to pay. We have mortgages to worry about. We have debts to address. We have probably even some anxieties about our finances. And undoubtedly, we worry about our retirements. Are we going to have enough? Because that mantra comes at us almost every single day from our culture. So we're hesitant to think of ourselves as wealthy because most of us have been taught to think that we don't yet have quite enough enough to be free from our anxieties, enough to not worry anymore. So we must not be really that rich, even though we know we are rich. We can agree that we're wealthy, but just not that wealthy. But remember, wealth is a relative term. And though we all have worries and we have issues and we have uh, various levels of wealth we have compared to most of the world, compared to many people in Richmond, we have to admit that most of us are extremely wealthy. Most of us had tremendous blessings along the way, you know, education. Lots of education safe environments to live in, plenty of opportunities, mostly because of who our parents were or are, or where we were born, or when we were born, and the opportunities that continue to come to us. Most of us were, to use a baseball analogy, most of us were born on third base or even rounding home. And we didn't hit a triple, my friends, did we? So is wealth a blessing? Or is it a major obstacle to our life with Jesus? Well, if you look in the Bible, it's both. It's both. For the first real people of the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, God called them to be his people and God said, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And so God's blessing of Abraham and Sarah and many others that followed in the Old Testament, that blessing included children and it included possessions and it included opportunities and privileges and land. The blessing... This kind of blessing was always given with a purpose. To be used for God, to be a blessing in the world. But this blessing also created the idea that God's favor on God's people is revealed in wealth. Children, possessions, land, even power. All manifestations of God's blessings. Another example, in the book of Job, a book about suffering... Job, the book begins with a statement about the man, Job. He was blameless and upright in God's sight. He feared God. He turned away from evil. He lived as God's people ought to live, and God blessed him. Here's what it says. Job had seven sons and three daughters. Job had 7,000 sheep 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. He was one of the greatest of all the people around, blessed by God. See, again, wealth was seen as God's reward for piety. Proverbs 22 4 says, Reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches. And honor and life. So, the sentiment, this sentiment continues through the Bible, such that the disciples of Jesus even maintained this kind of thinking. So, it's no wonder that there continues today this prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this popular form of Christianity that teaches that God really wants all of us to be rich. That's a sign of God's blessings. This thinking actually thrives because it has some scriptural basis. In the Bible, we can find many examples where wealth is a reflection of God's favor. But. But. Jesus is really, really clear about how wealth can be an obstacle to the reign of God in our hearts and in our lives and as we seek to be disciples. Listen to these words from Matthew chapter 19, which are also found in Mark and also found in Luke, which want to lift up their importance to Jesus and maybe their authenticity to Jesus. Here they are Matthew 19, beginning at verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and they said, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, In speaking about that very passage, theologian, Bible scholar, commentator Dale Bruner speaks really directly. With these words, Jesus makes it clear, and I quote, It is practically impossible to be doing well financially and to get into the kingdom. Bruner adds, and I quote again, all teaching that seeks to justify Christians becoming well-to-do is immediately disqualified, end quote. So much for the prosperity gospel, right? But we knew that. We have already had great suspicion about the prosperity gospel. So how then do we reconcile our wealth, our wealth, being born on third base, even though we don't see ourselves as so wealthy, how do we reconcile our wealth? We're pretty wealthy by the world's standards, extremely wealthy even. How do we follow Jesus and not embarrass God as wealthy Christians in a consumer world? That's our subject. Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom. The camel here is not a mistaken translation, as some like to think. It's not an allusion to a ship's cable. It's not a reference to some gate in Jerusalem, as some have tried to argue. The camel is an animal that will not pass through the eye of a needle without a miraculous transformation. So that's Jesus' point. For those who are rich, It will take a miraculous transformation lest the wealthy find themselves a long way from the kingdom of God and a long way from discipleship. A miraculous transformation. Clearly, we at Second Presbyterian, we as wealthy Americans in a world of poverty and pain, we are blessed. That means we have Tremendous challenge. That means we have a big burden on us. We too have been surrounded by wealth. We have been sustained by wealth. We have been showered with wealth. It will take a miraculous transformation of our hearts and our lives. See, when we're wealthy, we know what happens. We don't have to worry about where our next meal comes from. We just go to the refrigerator. We assume somebody has gone to the store to put something in the refrigerator. But we basically go to the refrigerator. Mostly, we can buy what we need. Our biggest worry in the morning, getting dressed, might have to do with matching our socks. Or making sure our clothes don't clash. So we turn to our partner and we say, does this make me look fat? Or we say, does this tie and jacket and slacks go together? That's our worry. Or when we turn on the faucet or the car or the computer or all the other things that we have around us, we have what we need. And if we're not careful, you know where that leads. We assume all our needs are met. Who needs God? When we're surrounded by our amenities and possessions, we know what happens. They begin to possess us. And we have to keep gaining wealth in order to pay for them or to upgrade them or to take care of them. Moreover, we may not have just one bed in our house to sleep in. We have maybe several beds and maybe we even have several houses or more than one at least and several cars and we have places to go. We have work to do. We have lots of friends. We have lots of things around us that fill up our time and if we're not careful, you know where that leads. If all our needs are met, who needs God? And worse, who needs to trust God? And who needs to serve God if we're so wealthy? We trust ourselves. We trust our bank account. Or try to. We trust our resources. We trust our doctors. We assume that's all we need. And Jesus says, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And like the disciples who are feeling pretty dumbfounded, we say, along with them, well, then who can be saved? Who in the world can be saved? And with that, Jesus says, with human beings, it's impossible. But with God, absolutely nothing is impossible. Jesus is always trying to teach us to reframe our lives so that we're centered on God. Psalm 27 puts it pretty succinctly. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's a person centered on God, not centered on their wealth and their possessions. Likewise, Jesus is always trying to help us set and maintain our priorities because they're so quickly and so easily off track. Jesus speaks lots about money on lots of pages in the Gospels. Money and wealth, because those things are really good at getting us all off track. Money and wealth may be a sign of God's blessing. No doubt about it, but money and wealth can quickly become a major obstacle in life with God and life toward God's kingdom, lives of faithfulness. So Jesus invites us always to keep thinking about our lives and keep thinking about striving for the kingdom in our living. This is what so much of his teaching is all about. You think it's this way? Well, here's really the way. You thought it was this, but let me tell you this. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then you'll have life. Seek ye first. That's how he sums it up. And this is what we have to do in regard to our wealth in regard to all our resources, and it is a constant journey. We're always needing to work on this, trusting God and serving God. That's our calling. Not trusting ourselves, not trusting our wealth, trusting God and having lives centered on God. That's our calling. One of the best ways to work on our priorities, to strive for the kingdom, is to participate fully in community like this. Worship and service like we do here, encouraging one another every day, trusting God and serving God. That's what we're about. We need to practice giving our lives away and we do it best together as we help each other do it, giving and serving sacrificially so our possessions and so our wealth do not keep us from entering the kingdom. In this place here, we want to Appreciate our blessings and we want to be a blessing in this city and for the whole world. We want to give generously to God's work through the church. We want to keep growing in our giving. We want to seek to tithe. Ten percent of all we receive, we seek to give it to God's work. And we keep striving to grow toward tithing. That's how we follow Jesus faithfully. We want to keep working on our priorities, the priorities of our lives. We want to ask at the end of every day, perhaps, how well am I honoring God? How well is my life about serving God, trusting God? That is crucial. How can I be more of a blessing with the things that come my way each day? How can I more effectively and more deeply embody God's presence and work for God's reign in the world? It's an ongoing question. We have to always be open to the ways we can use our wealth for the world, open to this miraculous transformation that God is working on all of us. We live in a shopping and buying and consuming culture and we as Christians have to pay attention to where we shop and what we buy? We do. Do we need it? Does what we buy help us live as disciples? That's a good question to ask. If we're not careful, our possessions possess us. And if we're not careful, our lives are far from honoring God. Think about this. We have a priority a policy in our house almost. We buy a shirt, give a shirt, or maybe two or three away because our drawers are too full. That shirt, that shirt that we have belongs to somebody who needs it, needs it more than we do. Somebody who's more needy. Buy a pair of shoes, give a pair away or two. Those shoes belong to us no more, but to someone who needs it. It's a small practice, but it moves us a bit toward the kingdom of God. It works on us for that miraculous transformation. We have a new effort in our house. We try to find out where our food comes from. Does it come through slave labor in some far-off place? Because that's a reality. Cheap food for a consuming world is nice for our pocketbooks because it makes things cheap. But does it make God happy that some people are slaving to maintain the extreme wealth of so much of the world? I don't think so. We should check this out. Be conscientious. The world is more and more distressed. The consumer economy, as beneficial as it might be, brings hardship to our planet, especially the poor on our planet. We have to be increasingly sensitive. We have to be increasingly diligent to this as disciples of Jesus. Think about the injustices that happen on the way and how we are participating in it or not. What kind of car do we drive? Is our car more about ostentation or transportation? These things matter. They matter to Jesus. They matter to lives as disciples. How many coats should we actually have in our closet? Jesus is inviting us to think about this, to tune our lives into faithful living. How can our lives best honor God? When does our selfishness and our wealth actually discuss God? That's a hard question. These are real issues. Jesus says it's practically impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom. But with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. And this promised, miraculous transformation is there. And God is inviting us to practice selfless giving and faithful living. God invites us to trust God and serve God every day of our lives. We have so much. Yet we need God so much. And we have a responsibility to assist God in the coming of God's reign in the world. And God invites us into that equation and gives us gifts and expects us to be about that work. Miraculous transformation of the world toward the kingdom of God. Friends, may God bless us. Give us a spirit and a strength more deeply and more effectively, trust God and serve God with our lives, promoting the light and the love of Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Soften our hearts, O God, be at work in each of us for a miraculous transformation that moves us closer to the coming of Christ our Lord. Amen.